All right. Hey, uh, good morning again. Good to be together. I'm excited to continue this morning our series on love. Uh, as I've said in the past weeks, the purposes of this series are uh, several, to help us see the ubiquity of love in the scriptures. I mentioned last week that the author of a well-regarded book called An Exhaustive uh, Dictionary of New Testament Words wrote uh, that the word love in Greek is uh, the characteristic word of Christianity. Kind of cool. So to help us see the ubiquity of love in the scriptures, to understand what biblical love is, to live in and under the grace of God's love ourselves, to, uh, uh, to embrace uh, God's call for us to love other people, and specifically to be empowered and encouraged to live out the first of our stated values as a congregation, which go like this. Following the Lord Jesus, we strive to love all people unconditionally. We'll say those last words together. Love all people unconditionally. All right, and here's the uh, definition of love that we've been working with over the last, I don't know, six weeks now. Uh, It's not romance, not primarily feelings or emotions. It is a choice. Here's the definition we've been working with. To be actively and selflessly committed to another person's well-being, regardless of the other person's worthiness and expecting nothing in return. Let's go ahead and read that together. To be actively and selflessly committed to another person's well-being, regardless of the other person's worthiness and expecting nothing in return ourselves. And that's a massive, massive undertaking. Just a few words, but a massive undertaking that none of us can do on our own, but that all of us can do or make progress in with the empowering of God's Spirit, with the help from God's Spirit, with God's grace involved in our lives, with intention on our part, and yes, effort. Effort. Effort is not a terrible word, but something that we're all called to. We can all make progress in this world, in this realm. Uh, As we do, we will grow in Christ. We will see God's kingdom come. God will be glorified, and we will experience his joy. That's the way it works. So the point of what we talk about here on Sunday mornings is not to entertain. And my hope is that uh, things that we talk about here on Sunday morning go deep, and we pray in that direction every week. Uh, Sometimes, though, I don't know about for all of you, but for me, things go in one ear and out the other ear. I study, I write, I preach a sermon, and literally often that night or the next day, I can't remember what I preached on. In one ear and out the other. I don't know if that's the case for any of you. It seems to be the case with other members of my household as well. But the function of our studies, the function of what we're doing here, this function of uh, opening the scriptures together is not information, it's transformation, it's not imitation, but again, it's becoming. It's not information, it is imitation of Jesus, whom we're called to follow, be disciples of, students of, pupils of, and to apprentice under. Not transfer, not information, but transformation, not information, but imitation. So it's good to find, find ways to follow up and to follow through on things we talk about on Sunday mornings here so that things don't go in one ear and out the other. So I've got three questions for you now. One, who remembers what we talked about last Sunday? All right, shout it out. Patience, love is patience, very good. So hopefully all of you remembered but uh, maybe some of us didn't. Second question, did you make it a point this past week to put into practice 
what we talked about last Sunday. In other words, loving people by practicing patience with them. And if so, in what ways? How many of you intentionally put into practice over the last seven days loving people with patience? Some. Next week, it's going to be more, I hope. Anyone want to offer a way that you uh, practice patience with someone who's not here with you this morning? I know, it's a little, a little scary. All right. Well, think about it. Answer that question for yourself. Last week, we talked about patience. How did you put that into practice? And if you didn't intentionally, cognitively, how can you in the coming week? Third question, did someone practice particular patience with you during the past week that you were aware of? And if so, what was that like for you, for your relationship with them? Anyone aware of someone practicing particular patience with you over the past week? Maybe because of what we talked about and they were here online or maybe just because they're really patient people or we're really loving people. Anyone have an experience of several of you? Good. Numerous times this past week, I found myself uh, in situations where people uh, pointed out to me verbally that they were practicing excessive patience with me over the course of the week, which I sort of appreciated. I, mo- I did appreciate. Uh, numerous times this past week, I also found myself in situations or conversations in which I really needed to practice patience for my sake and for others' sakes. And sometimes I did fairly well at this, and other times not as much, as you might imagine. But I was always aware that I had a choice in the matter. God had given me, or God was giving me in the moment, a choice, and the power, and the ability, and the awareness, and the grace to practice patience. I had a choice. Was I willing in that moment? Was I willing to slow it down, take a breath, count to three or to five or whatever the number might be for me, as we talked about that week, and love people through patience? I could, would I? True story. On Thursday morning, I'm uh, in my car driving on the way from home to the church campus. I pull up behind a uh, green light and find myself parked behind a car, yes, at a green light. At one point it was red, but now it was green. And the car was parked in front of the green light, and I was behind that car. And uh, in that moment, I had a choice, right, about how I would uh, react outwardly and how I would react inwardly in my heart and in my mind with my hands, with the horn. A lot of choices in those fractions of a second. God help me, give me the grace. So as I got a little closer and thought more about it, all of this happening in uh, just milliseconds, fractions of seconds, I noticed a bumper sticker on the car. There, There it is, right in front of McDonald's in Foster City. A bumper sticker on the car which read, new driver, please be patient. It was as if God was saying, talking to you, buddy, talking to you, talking to you. I'm like, all right. I'm not one of those people who says, God said to me, God spoke to me, message from God stuff, but this felt like in the luminous color of yellow that I couldn't miss, God saying to me, slow it down, be patient, nice. Last Sunday morning, we read from uh, the book in the Bible that we know as the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to uh, that church. That congregation was a spirit-filled people. And they had been blessed with many good and important gifts of God's Spirit. But they also at times discussed among themselves 
uh, which of those gifts was most important. And Paul in chapters 12 and 13, what we know as chapters 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians, says that all of God's gifts are important and they all need to be, they must be exercised and used for God's purposes and God's glory, but they also must be used with and in conjunction with love. Apart from love, Paul wrote, a person, even a spirit-filled person, is nothing, gains nothing, has nothing, nada. And then Paul says in verse 4 of that chapter, chapter 13, he defines and explains what he means by love, what, what is meant by love, what love is, what it looks like. We read those verses last Sunday, often read at weddings, I noted, though they don't apply particularly to weddings, but generally to every relationship in our lives. And Paul wants all of the people in Corinth, as they're exercising gifts, as they're living together, to know what's most important. We read several of those verses uh, last week. We're going to read them again, but before we do that, let's pray together. God, give us patience with your word. Help us to slow and be attentive, focused, eager, open, and available to you. Help us to hear and to ingest and to appropriate and to embrace your word, your truth, your way, your life. I pray and ask that as my words are true, uh, as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way, may they be quickly forgotten. We do pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's always one thing that must be paired with the gifts of the Spirit in the church. That thing is love. Paul describes to the Corinthians what love is like, starting in verse 4 of chapter uh, 13. Listen closely. This is God's word. He wrote, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. Love is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And last Sunday morning we talked about, as we said, that first three words about patience. This morning we're going to talk about kindness. It's been noted that patience and kindness right there at the beginning are not accidental probably, but they go together like peanut butter and jelly. Patience is refraining or restraining or holding back. It's refusing to act, refusing to overreact, refusing to be uh, active too quickly. That is patience. But kindness is the exact opposite of that and is the acting, the moving forward, the taking action, the doing. One, patience is not doing. Kindness is very specifically doing. Love involves both. Last Sunday, Father's Day, my youngest uh, kid gave me an absolutely wonderful card that she'd made. It was super fun, really creative, very thoughtful. One of the things that she noted in her card, uh, one of the things that she thanked me for, which was kind of weird, kind of cute, kind of, uh, it's interesting what kids uh, remember uh, was, or that they pick up on, was thanks dad for giving us a Greek word every week. And I thought, <laughs> okay. Uh, the Greek word universally translated across most, if not all, English translations as kindness in verse four means in Greek, kindness. That's it. Kindness. It's a very easy uh, word to translate from English to Greek. Not all words are, but it's really straightforward. Kindness. 
very consistently in what the Greek word means. The Oxford Dictionary defines the English word kindness as the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. Let's say those together. Friendly, generous, and considerate. Another prominent source defines kindness as a type of behavior marked by acts of generosity, consideration, rendering assistance, or concern for others without expecting praise or reward in return. Interesting. And I think that actually gets a little bit closer to the true meaning of kindness because, interestingly to me, the Greek word translated in verse 4 as kind is a verb. It doesn't look like a verb in English, but it's a verb in Greek. Christuomai, and it implies action. It involves action, affirming what we talked about it, uh, over the previous weeks about what love is. Not a noun, not a thought, not a feeling, but action all throughout the scriptures. Of course, loving action ought to be heartfelt. It's, it's not primarily feelings, but it ought to be heartfelt. It's not cold, but it's warm. And it involves action. It involves doing, it involves moving out, it involves taking initiative, starting from or within one's heart, mind, and will. Similarly or consistently, kind in English is a verb. Kindness is action. In the Old Testament, God is said to have shown kindness to people. Over and over in the Old Testament, people show kindness. It's not something one is, one feels, one experiences, but it's doing. The Old Testament Hebrew word usually translated today as kindness is chesed, for which there is no perfect English translation or easy English translation. So various words have been used and are used in various contexts to translate chesed into English. They include mercy, compassion, grace, favor, loving faithfulness, unfailing love, faithful love, covenant love, and my favorite, loving kindness. God is, shed, God is said to show loving kindness to his people. And the same continues in the New Testament. And God's people are all called to show kindness to others. In the Apostle Paul's letters to the Colossians, he wrote, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and here it is again, patience. Paul wrote to the Galatians, we read this last week, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If the Holy Spirit is present and active in a person's life, there also is necessarily, inherently, explicitly, kindness. And I think this is really important to acknowledge and affirm because there are some people out there and in the church who say they are Christians and who are really quite mean. unkind. But God has been so kind to us, giving us the spirit and the fruit or the byproduct, the produce, what the Holy Spirit produces in us, in a person, among other things, is love, our love, patience, and kindness, always. Therefore, you people who are holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, among other things, kindness. Put it on every morning. And as much as it's up to us, to you, to me, we managed to get dressed. Every one of you, I can see, managed to get dressed this morning, which is really good. In the morning, clothe yourselves, Paul says, with kindness. A number of years ago, and maybe still uh, here and there, there was a pretty common bumper sticker that said, anyone remember this? 
practice random acts of kindness. Anyone remember that bumper sticker? Still around? I don't know if it's still around. It's kind of been replaced by coexist. Practice random acts of kindness. And I remember uh, many years ago thinking to myself as a younger person, that's really sweet, that's really cute, that's lovely, but I'm a Christian, I'm not a secular humanist, I'm going to do the things that Jesus said to do and things in the Bible that says to do. I'm going to go to church and tithe and tell people about Jesus and invite people to join a Bible study and go on a mission trip and all of those sorts of things, yes. And all of that can be fine and good, absolutely, but why not also embrace or affirm or go along with the idea of some person's bumper sticker about just being kind as if because it doesn't mention Jesus or the Bible or Christianity or one's home church that it's somehow not commended by God. I don't think there is secular kindness and Christian kindness or secular kindness and religious kindness or secular kindness and spiritual kindness. I think it all comes from God, because God is love. God is love. That is uh, what the scriptures say. Therefore, we ought to get on with this action, and we can. And kindness, the quality of being friendly, generous, considerate, can take many forms, many different forms, almost unlimited. You can give out compliments generously instead of not giving out compliments generously or at all. And this is free. It takes so little time. Give out compliments generously, maybe to someone you work with or someone you work for or someone you live with or a person whose path you cross regularly or someone with whom you share a pew from time to time. To the guy at the dry cleaner, say, you did a really great job. I really appreciate it. It's been years now. You do a great job on my clothes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Give out compliments generously. It may not be okay anymore to say to some people in some context, wow, you look great today. It's not always appropriate. Some might misunderstand your intentions, but we can almost always say things like, I love your haircut. And that, for some people, may be a very generous statement, depending on their haircut. Or you might say, where did you get that sweater? It's so pretty. And that, too, may be a really generous statement, especially around Christmas time but say it anyway. Or, in addition to giving out compliments generously and sincerely, you can invite others to go ahead of you, to go first. Uh, At stop signs, in lines at stores, checkout lines, at the post office, theme parks, pretty much anywhere we go in life, go ahead, move it ahead of me. You can do it. If you see someone who seems like they're in a hurry, someone who's just got one item, someone who's got kids with them who are really testing them, Go ahead, please. No, really, go, step, go, you. Wave them through, wave them forward, wave them in. It's really easy, kindness. Offer someone your seat on public transportation. If the train or bar is crowded, offer your seat to someone who may need it more than you. On an airplane, when uh, there's only center seats left and clearly these two people want to sit together, get up and give them your aisle seat, your cherished aisle or window seat. Here, sit here. Kindness. Greet strangers along the way in life. Jesus implied in the Sermon on the Mount that this may be one of the most basic, fundamental ways that we can love people, greeting people along the road, along the way of life. And this can be really fun. Have you ever stepped into an elevator of people you don't know, a cradle elevator in an office building or wherever, and said to people, hey, everyone, how's everyone doing? Thanks for gathering here this morning. 
How's the weather? Anything we need to talk about before we go up? It'll make, it'll, yeah, it'll freak some people out, but it's actually fun. It'll weird a, people, a few people out. But you'll see a couple of people in the elevator crack a smile and gladness comes to their life. Even for just a moment that day. A dose of gladness, friendliness, generosity, consideration. I started doing this experiment, uh, and it sort of became a hobby when I moved to New Jersey for seminary. I'd grown up in Texas, right? Texas, pretty friendly uh, state. The uh, motto on uh, Texas highways for a number of years, the Department of Public Safety or Transportation, as the case may be, drive friendly. I know that's terrible grammar. I know it. I know it's terrible grammar for those of you who pay attention to grammar. Nevertheless, this was on uh, road signs uh, throughout Texas for literally decades, drive friendly. But then I moved to New Jersey and experienced the sort of culture shock. People in New Jersey don't greet each other on roads or sidewalks ever. They just don't. And I thought, this must be a law, like the crazy law where you can't pump your own gas in New Jersey. Anyone been to New Jersey? The first time I drove into New Jersey, pulled up to a service station, started, got out, started to fill my own gas, and the guy's like, whoa, hold on, brother, you can't do that. It's against the law. And I'm like, what? So it's actually still against the law in New Jersey to pump your own gas. I don't know why, but it's the law. And I thought, maybe it's also the law that in New Jersey, you can't greet people along the road or can't greet people along sidewalks. After a while of living there, I thought, no, it's the cold and it's the gray and it's the misery. That's why people don't greet each other along the sidewalk in New Jersey. Uh, the truth is, however, that people in New Jersey are the same way year round. No one greets strangers along the way of life. If you're walking down the sidewalk, I quickly discovered first uh, day on campus and in the little town where this uh, seminary was, People, as you're approaching them on the sidewalk, really cognizant of you, and still while they're away off, they move over to the edge of the sidewalk, the opposite edge, and often even off of the sidewalk in order to pass. And it's a very weird intentional thing that no eye contact, no eye contact, don't look down. You look anywhere but down or anywhere but at the person in front of you. People really, and if they accidentally make eye contact with you, then they sort of blush, they turn away, they're like, oh gosh. And it's this kind of deal where you have to stop making eye contact with one another. Uh, that was the, the last thing that people wanted to do. But even then, the other person going to the other uh, way would try not to. And if they did, they'd just smirk, look away. And if they absolutely couldn't help themselves, they might move their mouth or their lips or their eyes just a little bit. So I would always say really loudly to make sure people heard me, good morning. How are you doing? Good to see you. Nice day. Beautiful day, mate. And it just drove people crazy in New Jersey. Maybe people in New Jersey are still recovering from me. <laughs> Wish people a happy day. So here's the sad news. If you live in a culture like that long enough, you're in danger of becoming that way. I sensed that it was growing on me after I lived in New Jersey for a little while. You become like the people around you. You absorb, you embrace, you become their tradition. So I always fought it. I always greeted people along the way, even when they ignored or rejected my greeting. And then after two years in New Jersey, I moved for the summer to Southeast Arkansas, Monticello, Arkansas. So I'd sort of our two years been in New Jersey, drive into this little town down the highway. The closer I got, the slower the speed limit, the more people started waving at me. It was the weirdest thing. Coming to the town, stopping at stop signs. 
I'm like, do people know I'm coming? Actually, no one knows that I'm coming to work at this church for the summer. I'm like, what's going on? What time warp? So I realized I had to detox from being in New Jersey for so long. Had to go through this uh, complex, deep detox process. Everyone waved. Where was it going? Then in my third year, I moved to San Diego. After a third year of seminary, I moved to San Diego. It was friendlier than New Jersey, but not as friendly as the small town, Arkansas. Uh, and so I sort of begun at that point to rank the friendliness of the different places that I've lived over the course of life. So at the top of the list is southeast, it's kind of small town Arkansas. And then right after that's urban, uh, urban Texas. And then right after that, Colorado Springs. And then right after that, uh, Southern California, San Diego. And then at the very bottom is New Jersey. And right above New Jersey is the peninsula. It's Northern California. I don't know if you've noticed, I could tell you a lot of stories beginning with the day that we moved here. I can tell you stories about meeting my next door neighbor. This is not a super friendly place, at least among strangers. Pretty low, at least in my experience and my ranking system of all the places that one could live. And you begin to become like uh, the people that you're around. We do. But that's just, as it turns out, more reason for us to be kind, to clothe ourselves every morning with kindness. And you don't have to be an extrovert to do this. There are lots of ways for introverts to be kind. You can send cards, letters, toys, puzzles, books, games to kids in hospitals. You can help with meal prep for homeless people through Samaritan houses, some of you did this morning. You can drive the Street Life Ministries food van or their clothes closet van and never talk to anyone. You can volunteer in an animal shelter and take animals for a walk. You can pay it forward, pay for the food for the person behind you in line at McDonald's in the drive-thru. You can, in a restaurant, tip people generously. Anyone tip someone 50% or 100% ever? It's really fun. Pick up trash on a public sidewalk or in your neighbor's yard. Bring your neighbor's recycled compost and trash bins in from the curb, preferably after Recology has picked up the stuff inside. Do a family member's chores without even mentioning it. Kids, do a chore for a family member without being asked. What? Just because you can. <laughs> it is possible. Wash someone else's car just because you can. Clean up a public restroom before you leave it. I, I sort of, I don't want to ruin it by telling you some of these things that I've done, but you can actually sort of derive a great amount of joy in doing these things that nobody else knows about or finds out about or ever gets told. And don't tell people because that'll ruin it. You can fill out surveys when asked to do so or when given an opportunity to do so when you've experienced someone who's done their job really well. I'm like the guy who actually fills out the survey. At the end of this call, will you fill out a survey for us? Yeah, when they get the email, sure, absolutely. Fill out the survey when a, when a person does a job well. I'll sometimes uh, go up to another practice that I've gotten into is I'll sometimes go up to an employee at a store, at a restaurant, at the airport. I've done it lots of different places and say, may I speak to the manager? And oh, that's, Because people know what's coming, right? You've got a complaint. Oh, no. Is there something I can help you with? No, I'd like to speak to a manager. Okay. So they disappear or go off the phone for a moment, and then someone comes back, and here comes the manager. And the manager knows, too, it's bad news. It's always bad news. I'm the manager. What can I help you with? 
hey, well, I just wanted to tell you I had this amazing experience with one of your employees. They should be committed. They did this great job. They're super friendly, did it really well, thorough, helpful, loving, and I just wanted someone else to know. And just like their day goes, bing, 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 bing. What? There's gladness and joy and friendliness and generosity and courtesy and consideration in the world. Wow, you'll never see a manager glow and have quite so much joy as doing that. Thank people who normally don't receive much thanks, the invisible people who keep our lives and our world running smoothly. Thank the person who delivers your mail or makes your coffee or cleans the building where you work. Maybe even write a note or buy that person donuts. And it's, it's like, I don't know, it's not in the Bible, but it's, a, it's an existential, existential, if not spiritual truth, that donuts communicate kindness. It just is. And all of this can be fun and exhilarating and exciting, even though some people have grown up with the idea that church isn't supposed to be fun, exhilarating, or exciting, or following Jesus isn't supposed to be fun, exhilarating, or excitement. It can be, and it is. It should be. And I think people are hungry for kindness. People are hungry for kindness. Last story. Maybe. I was in Costco this week and walking down the packaged food aisle. Okay, the packaged food aisle. How many of you walk down the packaged snacks aisle? And there's all kinds of stuff there, packaged things that really aren't good for you. But they, and there's a section that's bars, health bars, protein bars, fig bars, all kinds of bars. And they've been around for decades. And it's a hard area to get into because there's so much competition. But not too long ago, this new bar seemed to surface called Kind Bars right? Where did kind bars come from? How did they manage to break in? It's just nuts and dark chocolate like all of the other ones that are competing, competing for office space. How did they get in? And I think it's just the name. I think Daniel Lubetzky is brilliant. Instead of calling something nuts or chocolate, call it kind. Because literally, and no, yeah, pun intended, people are hungry for kindness. And if it says kind and you kind of associate that, sure, why would I not buy kind bar rather than the mean bar? (laughs) There's a shortage of simple kindness in our world. Instead, we live in a world, a society, an area, a culture, a region that is saturated with self and greed and hurry and rudeness and ambivalence and unkindness. People lack the time, the inclination, and the spirit to be kind to others. And then there's the church. And by that, I mean not the building, but this gathering, this collective, this community of people who are trying to follow Jesus and infused with his spirit, which is called to be and supposed to be a hotbed of kindness. Of course, Christianity and being in Christ and following Jesus is far more than just kindness or being nice. Christianity is about being created and loved and set freed and then necessarily rescued, saved, redeemed, restored, empowered, filled, called, rejuvenated. 
apprenticing with Jesus, seeking the healing and the salvation of nations, but kindness, living in God's spirit, the fruit of which always includes kindness, is an important part of that. Remember the context of the verses with which you started. God has given to his people all sorts of gifts through his spirit for the building up of the church and the equipping of God's people for ministry. Paul encourages his readers to practice those gifts, but to do so only with love, among which a critical element is element of is simply kindness. Be filled with God's Spirit. Exercise the gifts the Scriptures talk about of the Spirit with kindness. And in all things, every morning, every afternoon, every evening before you go out or interact with other people, clothe yourself with kindness. And so to that end, I want to invite you, encourage you, challenge you this week for the next seven days to do a little exercise. If you're willing to be more intentional and to each and every day for just the next seven days. This commitment doesn't go beyond that. That's up to you and between you and God. But if you're willing to practice intentional, explicit, direct, no question kindness to someone in a unique and original and unusual way this week, I encourage you to do that. If you're willing, grab the little white card, in front of you in the pew right now and write practice kindness in your name and drop it in the wooden box on your way out. If you're at home or if you're here and don't like white paper, send an email to info at fpcsm.org and say, I'm in. Practicing kindness seven days every day this week. I'm going to figure out a unique, different, special, lovely, enjoyable, exhilarating, fun life-giving way to be generous, to be friendly, to be considerate to a stranger or to someone you know, anonymously or publicly. It doesn't really matter. So I invite you to do that so that this week it doesn't go in one ear and out the other. Love is kind. Love is kind. Love is kind. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for your kindness to us long before we even knew you, much less knew about your love or your kindness to us. Forgive our, at times, unkindness. Help us, save us, fill us with your spirit, redeem us, empower us, and encourage us to walk in the way of the very kind King. And in this and in all things, may you be glorified, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.